he called me later in the day after I'd asked him to perform the autopsy. And he told me after doing the autopsy, there were no medical findings that showed any injury to the vital structures of Mr. Floyd's neck. There were no medical indications of asphyxia or strangulation, said Miss Sweezy. He said to me, she went on, Amy, what happens when the actual evidence does not match up with the public narrative that everyone's already decided on? And then he said, this is the kind of case that ends careers. Thank you for tuning in to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm MCG. And we're attempting to remove barriers so we can all have a clear view of the cross. This is episode 148 of the Removing Barriers podcast. And in this episode, we will be responding to a clip from the Megan Kelly show where they dissect some new quote-unquote evidence in the Derek Chauvin trial and the subsequent conviction in the murder of George Floyd. Hi, this is Jay. MCG and I would like for you to help us remove barriers by going to removingbarriers.net and subscribing to receive all things Removing Barriers. If you'd like to take your efforts a bit further and help us keep the mics on, consider donating at removingbarriers.net slash donate. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross. All right, Jay. So here's the first clip from the Megan Kelly Show. We would like to share with our audience and give our thoughts on. Let's start with Derek Chauvin, the man, the cop convicted of second degree murder in connection with the death of George Floyd. Of course, everyone remembers the story. That's what he was convicted of, among other charges. Now he's serving a 22 year sentence. And there's news on this case. At the moment, his lawyers are trying to be to get the case heard at the U.S. Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of Minnesota decided not to hear their appeal. So now they're going to the court of last resort, the U.S. Supreme Court trying to say, please, please, please hear our appeal and give us a new trial. So we'll get to that in a minute. But in that context, like... All right, so I'm glad that his lawyers are trying to go through the appeal process and stuff like that. Seem like they have spun their wheels enough in Minnesota. And now they're taking it to the Supreme Court of the United States. I honestly do not believe that the Supreme Court of the United States is going to take up this case. Why not? I don't think it's impactful enough federally for them to be interested enough to take it up. I think that because of the high-profile nature of the case and because of everything that happened, even with the abortion ruling that they made, I don't think they want to dip their feet into this one when they don't have to. So it's just my gut feeling. I don't think that they're going to take it up. Shouldn't they say something or at least take up the case with the new evidence that's presented simply because of how it was a miscarriage of justice? Well, that's open to opinion. We have representatives and the president himself, congressmen, senators, people that are in our government, like federal government, weighing in and tipping their hands or placing their fingers on the scale, saying things publicly about the trial. You have the intimidation of the jury, regular intimidation of the jury. The fact that there was nowhere in the country, I imagine, where he could have gotten a fair trial. All of these things. And so he was basically the sacrificial, uh, no, not sacrificial, I will say the scapegoat. Like if he dies or if he's put away, then all of this civil unrest can go away. Forget justice. If he goes away, then all of these troubles go away. And so we're not going to pursue justice. We're not going to pursue what's right in this particular instance. We're going to pursue what's expedient for the situation right now. And if that's the case, then none of us can hope to have a fair trial when we... Well, that's true. And we'll get into some of that later, but... I do not see, and I hope they take it up, but I do not see that they're going to take it up. And the most they will do is order every child. They can't declare him innocent. At least I'm no lawyer, but from my understanding, they can order a child because of the new evidence. Because, and I have said in several other episodes, that I don't believe he got a fair child. No, he didn't at all. But they can order every child, but they can't necessarily declare him innocent. Nor can he be pardoned, and he's not going to be pardoned. Well, at least he can't be pardoned by Joe Biden because it wasn't a federal crime. 
maybe except for the federal charges. I think he did plead guilty on a federal hate crime or something like that. But other than that, ultimately the state affair, he already went to the Supreme Court of the state that this happened in, and they didn't overturn it. So it seemed like they have exhausted all the appeals in the state. And now they're coming to the federal government, the Supreme Court of the United States. I honestly don't see them taking it up or ordering a retrial. Even though it would be nice, but I don't see them doing it. I think it's a situation where they're going to say, hey, look, we wash our hands from this thing. Several other courts have already looked at this and we're moving on. So What a shame. At least that's my gut feeling. But anyway, here's another clip from the Megan Kelly show. And let me just add, she has some guests that you're going to hear later on the show. And I think they're lawyers and they're going to be going back and forth with Megan Kelly. As that's happening, something else is happening, which is Amy Sweezy. She's our age. I think the three of us are about the same age. She's a 1995 graduate of the University of Minnesota Law School. And um, she was a prosecutor in this district attorney's office that went after Derek Chauvin in Minnesota for 28 years. She's tried over 100 felony jury trials. So she knows what she's doing, including first degree murder cases. She specializes in, among other cases, police use of force cases. Um, She teaches law school, all this stuff. Now, she is suing her old boss at the Hennepin County Attorney's Office, alleging, I think it's sexual harassment, that he sexually harassed her, sex discrimination and retaliation, Um, right? And yet, and in the context of this civil litigation, she has made some extraordinary allegations on the record about what kind of behavior he's guilty of and what he was saying and doing while running, in particular, the George Floyd case, the the case against Derek Chauvin. She says at her deposition, which is sworn, she's under oath, that this guy, uh, the DA, uh, was aware of a conversation she had with the medical examiner whose name was Andrew Baker, and that the day after George Floyd's death, she, Amy Swayze, had a conversation with the medical examiner, Andrew Baker. And Andrew Baker said the following, quote, um, well, this is her describing it. He called me later in the day after I'd asked him to perform the autopsy. And he told me after doing the autopsy, there were no medical findings that showed any injury to the vital structures of Mr. Floyd's neck. There were no medical indications of asphyxia or strangulation, said Miss Sweezy. He said to me, she went on, Amy, what happens when the actual evidence does not match up with the public narrative that everyone's already decided on? And then he said, this is the kind of case that ends careers. Uh, Andrew Baker responded, the medical examiner saying, I cannot comment. But his representative says that he stands by the autopsy report and his televised testimony, both of which are publicly available. Now, so <laughs> that's some interesting stuff there. So we have this Amy Squeezy. Now she has some troubles of her own. The truth finally come out. And of course, you see, the thing is, the reason why in my introduction I say new evidence, because I guess this portion of it, you can argue it is somewhat new. But I think in episode 40 and 41, Micaiah Bryan, LeBron James, and Derek Chauvin, part one and two, episode two, systemic racism, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, I kind of said some of these same things that I was not convinced that the knee on the neck, supposedly, because if you really look at the picture, Chauvin's knees were actually on his back and not his neck that I wasn't convinced that that's what killed him. I also said in some other episodes about this thing as well, the fact that he had fentanyl and meth in his system, and not only in his system, but at lethal levels in his system. He had a bad heart. The excitement of the situation could have pushed him over the edge and killed him. And other medical examiners and People with all kind of letters after the name said as much in the child. I had the child playing in the background and listening to most of it while I was working during the day. 
and stuff like that. And I was not convinced in the trial from what I've heard that George Floyd was killed because there was a knee at his neck. And now this is coming out. Clearly, they conceal evidence. Clearly, they didn't provide everything that should have been provided during discovery. Who's they, the medical examiner's office? No, they're the DA office. Okay. But I think any reasonable person, if this thing wasn't political, if this thing wasn't racial, if this thing wasn't dot, 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 police involvement and all the other stuff that caused it to explode well beyond what it is, if it was an election year, 2020, if it wasn't for a pandemic, COVID, Derek Chauvin may have been a free man because I'm not convinced that George Floyd died because the knee was on his neck. Now, I'm not defending Chauvin because I do believe Chauvin showed some indifference. I'm going to get to that later. But at the same time, this new evidence kind of sealed the deal and kind of just affirm everything that myself and a lot of other quote-unquote conservative pundits have been saying. It annoys me that the media can get away with something like this But then you stop and realize that the media gets away with this all the time. Our leaders, our governments, they get away with this all the time. They will present a particular narrative and they'll present it in such a way to influence you to think and react a certain way, even though it's not truthful, even though it's not entirely what happened. Because I remember when this came out, the only video that was available initially was the short edited part of the video where you could see Chauvin with his knee on the upper back and George Floyd crying out for his mom and saying, I can't breathe and all these different things and that he's dying and all these different things. And that's all you saw. And what the media ran with in the headline was white officer kills unarmed black man. That same trope of a story that the media always jumps on in addition to many other particular tropes that the media likes to make because they're moneymakers. You know, at the end of the day, These are for-profit organizations, and they make more money sensationalizing or editorializing the news than they do actually reporting what happened so that people could have a clear idea of what actually happened. So they could do that with impunity. And then three years later, oh, by the way, by the way, this is actually happened. Oh, by the way, it's like when they, on newspapers, when something first happens, they'll have it in like super bold eye-catching headline, the most terrible thing that you could ever imagine. It'll say something like, for example, in this case, a white officer kills unarmed black man in big flashing letters or whatever you want to say. And then if there's a correction to be made, it's never done with so much life or with so much intensity as the initial story. It's always like a correction way back in page 20A in the bottom left-hand corner. And you need a magnifying glass to see the correction. Oh, by the way, you know, the... the, uh, the suspect was actually fighting the police officer and that's what happened. And so they are able to shape public narrative, public opinion, public perception of things with impunity. And nothing is going to come of this. And that's actually incredibly frustrating. We saw it happen ad nauseum after 2020. We're talking the Covington kids, Kyle Rittenhouse, Ahmaud Arbery, so many different things that they've done where they've shown that they lie repeatedly, repeatedly, and nothing happens to them. There is no legal or moral or civil or federal or any type of recourse to hold the media accountable. I find that completely and not just the media, but we now we see that people that we elect, the people in the DA's office and people that work for the government or state, the medical examiners, these people are complicit. That you have evidence, actual physical evidence that doesn't match the narrative and you do nothing with that? Well, firstly, let me say this. I don't think anything should happen to the media, especially not by the government. I think that's a dangerous precedent to go down where... No, no, no. I don't think that the government should do anything about the media. That's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah, but maybe I misunderstood what you're saying. Okay, sorry, I didn't explain it properly. I guess for me, whether the media willfully misled or not, you know, I think about the phrase, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, kind of thing. I think... Of course, yes, the the media should strive to present the truth. I would agree on that. But if they don't, let the people and their readers and their subscribers and whoever else hold them accountable. And secondly, I think it also points to the people, the consumers of the media. It shows a lack of reading. It shows a lack of investigation on their part. Fair. 
if you go back to the 90s and the 80s and stuff like that, where you didn't have the internet and computers and everything at your fingertip, where the media was more trustworthy, or I'm not even quite sure if the media was more trustworthy, or it was more difficult to catch the media in a lie, I think that might be more true than the media was more trustworthy. I think it was harder to catch the media in a lie. Today, there's no reason for us not to be able to hold the media accountable. Case in point, Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Mm -hmm. When that happened, there was this narrative saying, hands up, don't shoot. Michael Brown had his hands up and Officer Darren Wilson shot him while he had his hand in the air. And there were protests in the street in Ferguson, Ferguson where black folks were walking around with their hands up in the air saying, hands up, don't shoot. Their Department of Justice did an investigation into the shooting. And they found that the Ferguson Police Department had a history and a pattern of racism in the department. They found evidence in emails, in text messages. They found evidence in the fact that more black people have been stopped, arrested, and harassed in traffic situations. You can argue more black people are probably going to be arrested and stopped in traffic situations in Ferguson because Ferguson is probably majority, majority black. black. Yeah. Anyway, that's beside the point. The point I want to make here is this. I saw this report on CNN, and CNN was talking about the findings of the DOJ, how that they found the police department to be racist in emails and texts and all the stuff. And the CNN waxed eloquent going on and on about all the findings in Ferguson. In that same report, if you read that entire report, in the same report, the DOJ also found that there were no evidence to show that Michael Brown had his hand up when he was shot by Officer Darren Wilson. Actually, the DOJ found eyewitnesses, multiple eyewitnesses, who said that Mike Brown didn't have his hands up. The only eyewitness that said he had his hands up was his friend. I don't remember his name, but the friend that was with him. Wasn't that same friend found later on to be exaggerating or lying? I think so. Yeah. And also the medical examiner who examined Michael Brown said that the entry wounds of the bullet show evidence that he was actually charging towards Officer Darren Winston when he got shot. The fact that his DNA was found and Darren Wilson gone and all that stuff proved the officer right that they were struggling for his weapon. I say all that to say this. If you didn't read the DOJ report for yourself or maybe go to another news outlet, you probably never knew that in the same report, the DOJ said that the hands up, don't shoot narrative was false. But you will know that the police department is racist, quote unquote. I don't necessarily blame the media. We have smartphones and computers and whatever else. I don't take the media for what it says. I investigate. Yes. You investigate. For the majority of Americans who go to work nine to five, when they come home, they're dead tired. They've got a million and one things on their plate. They're taking care of their kids' homework and getting dinner on the table. And they don't have time to dig into the weeds and look for the truth of what's happened. Now, I'm not saying that that's an excuse. I'm just saying most people just take what they see from mainstream outlets and they take it at face value. And I think there's something wrong with taking advantage of your audience in that particular way. It's pundits and the media, it's their job to sit around and read the news all day, every day and stay hyper-informed. For the rest of America, they're going on with their lives. They're busy lifing. <laughs> they're doing life. And so if they trust you to give them fair and balanced information, I would imagine even as an individual journalist working for any of these outfits, you would have the personal integrity to not lead people astray if you know that they depend on you for that particular thing. It's like our doctors. We don't know. Let me backtrack a little bit. I think a lot of people, myself included, learned a pretty hard lesson about trusting your doctors blindly the same way that I think we're all learning the hard lesson of trusting the media blindly. Because as a result of the pandemic, I think the glaring shortfalls, if you will, of our medical system, it's on display for everyone to see, as well as the shortfalls in our media system. But what I'm getting at is if you're in a position where people trust you to do your particular job because they need you to be able to do what they can't do because they're out taking care of life and things that happen in life, you should be held to a higher standard and there should be some sort of accountability. Now, I must have not expressed myself properly before because I don't 
think that the government should do something about that. We certainly don't want that because then that's not freedom of the press, right? But there should be accountability for that because they literally burned America to the, maybe not all of America, but there are many major cities and major protests. These cities were burned to the ground on account of a lie. And it happened not just with Floyd, it happened with Michael Brown is another one. Who's the one in the young man in, um, in Baltimore? Uh, Freddie Gray. And this repeated narrative of a lie that these evil white officers are going after these unarmed, innocent black men. And it's just not the case. I think that if the Supreme Court takes this particular case, then maybe it will go a ways to remind people in the so-called system the DAs, the lawyers, the medical examiners, everyone that participates in it, either intentionally evil or just the banality of evil, would take a second look and realize that their unwillingness to stand up and declare the truth, to say, hey, this is what the evidence actually shows, their inability to do that actually costs lives. It's another way that the institutions of America are hollowed out when there's no integrity in those positions that we expect people to be forthcoming and steadfast when it comes to proclaiming the truth. Well, firstly, legacy media is dying. Well, yeah. I don't think anyone necessarily believes legacy media anyway. But secondly, again. Legacy media is dying, but the influence is still astronomical. 2020 was so-called summer of love. The country was on fire I don't as think a result that's... of... I don't think that necessarily was legacy media. I think that was more social media. But anyways, at least social media helped big time in organizing that. But my overall point is this. While I agree with what you're saying, I still put most of the onus on the people, the sure. listeners. You know, you brought up example of a doctor. I don't think that's a one-to-one comparison, but that's why they have second opinions. Because well, you now don't, you we don't... have independent media where we don't need legacy media. Right, anymore. right. We I understand. Probably... But my point is this. Doctors, you can go you get a second opinion if you don't truly trust your doctor. But if something come up, because if I go and pull up CNN.com, FoxNews.com or whatever, MSNBCNews.com or whatever, and I see an article saying inflation has gone down by 5% on the Biden, I probably wouldn't go and investigate that and see if that's true or not. You know, I might say, who cares? Maybe I go to Fox and say inflation has gone up 5% on the Biden. Okay, whatever. I probably would not go and try to dig into the numbers, my own numbers, and try to figure out, is this true? Because the impact on my life, even though it might cost me a little bit more at the grocery store and cost me a little bit more here and there, impact on my life is not that much that caused me to go and investigate and see if inflation is up or down on the Biden, as an example. However, George Floyd affected a whole lot of things. You can say George Floyd was the fulcrum or the pinnacle that changed a whole lot of stuff during the pandemic, during the 2020 elections, and a whole lot of stuff now, even three years ago. You can say George Floyd was that pinnacle. It was the spark that lit the, that the even haystack flew, on fire. The yep. flu of Black Lives Matter and all that stuff. So I personally would want to go and investigate and make sure that something that is so impactful in the community that I live in, the culture that I'm living in, is this true? So while I understand people have their life to live and they can't investigate everything, at least the ones that are more impactful to your life, go and investigate it. Like, for instance, when I graduate college, looking for a job and stuff like that, my very first job out of college, it was a contractual position with the government, through a government contractor, federal government. I'm not quite sure exactly what happened, but the contract was pulled and the company let go 12 of us or stuff like that except for one, 12, 13 of us. They kept one person who was on a different payment structure or whatever that wasn't affected by the contract being pulled. And I told one uncle of mine, and the first thing he said to me was, oh, they're letting you go because you're black. It made absolutely no sense to me because majority of the people that were being let go were white. It makes no sense. Only thing he knew about it is that I'm losing my job because the contract was pulled. And the first thing he said to me, oh, it's because you're black. And I'm like, it's not like they got rid of all the Indians and all the black people and keep the white people. Mm. There were more white people on the project and they got rid of all of them, except for one. And the only reason they kept him 
was because he had seniority because he was there the longest. He knew the system the best. And they at least had to keep the lights on so they can't get rid of everybody. So again, and I experienced that where, but it was some relative of mine saying, oh, it was because I'm black. I'm like, I hear what you're saying, but that's not my experience. I'm not experiencing anything negative towards me because I'm black. So I investigate these things myself. I'm just simply saying, if it's going to affect your life to that degree, were you going to actually go in the street and burn your grocery stores and your police stations and your convenience stores down and cause people to lose jobs and people to move? At least make sure you're fighting for a good cause. At least make sure your mostly peaceful protest is actually <laughs> a reason why you should be protesting. So, yeah, I think there's some blame to be put on the media, but the sheeple are more to be blamed than and the media. They're absolutely so much so. more dangerous than the government because if you get a mob of people, if you get a group of people and they're all thinking the same thing, that is a frightening thing because they can easily overpower. But you said that you don't think that the Supreme Court is going to take it up, but you hope that they will. You said that they can only order a retrial. What does that do for anyone, well, in it, your opinion? Because it just seems to me that some people would say, hey, let's not touch this with a 10-foot pole because now we're going to reopen 2020 Summer of Love and it's going to be burning down the cities all over again. What would be the point of a retrial if it doesn't change anything? And if people already have the narrative that he was murdered and he was innocent and Derek Chauvin is absolute scum of the earth? Well, at least it give Derek Chauvin extra line of hope that he doesn't have to spend 20-something years in prison. But at the same time, it will right or wrong. I don't think Derek Chauvin is totally innocent. I think No, but, I don't think anyone is saying the, that. Yeah. But at the same time, at least, you know, if the Supreme Court out there reach out, again, I, I'm no lawyer, I don't know all the legalese, but at least it would be a fresh new jurors and all these things, and maybe they might at least get a mistrial or something. Who knows? But here is the other clip from okay. the Megyn Kelly show. Many are saying this proves that Derek Chauvin did not murder George Floyd in any way, that this, this medical examiner knew it, that there were no signs of asphyxiation nor any injury to the vital structures of his neck, no medical in, in indications of asphyxia or strangulation. And, and that last comment is the killer. What happens when the evidence doesn't match up to the public, public narrative? So Jana. What, if anything, does this do to the case and specifically to this appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court to get Derek Chauvin a new trial? Yeah, so I guess for this part, I just say legal malpractice. I don't know. On the DA's part? Yeah. But anyways, here is the response because she was asking one of her guests the question. So much to dive into here, Megan. This is really bombshell evidence because on a, a number of levels, it proves if true a malicious prosecution. It proves, uh, disproves the fact that there was any sort of, uh, that this was basically uh, a homicide. Uh, so it proves that Derek Chauvin and others and company should not have been charged at all, certainly not the way they were charged. And it proves that this was going to be a conviction at all costs kind of prosecution based on the climate of what was going on across the country, based on the climate about uh, how people all of a sudden had to hate all police, especially white police. It proves that Derek Chauvin, if true, was absolutely railroaded. Now, the interesting thing is that really didn't come out. I mean, Eric Nelson did, the defense attorney did try to raise that uh, in the course of his cross-examination, didn't really right. hit a home run with it. It will be part of the appeal to the Supreme Court, uh, even though it wasn't part of the trial. They can bring up this new evidence when they make their pitch to the Supreme Court. But at the very least, I don't think it stop there. This is new evidence. And they should probably try to reverse course and start all over again to the extent that the Minnesota allows them to do that, because this is really huge. Yeah, I personally think that the DA office, the medical examiner, should be investigated for malpractice. But I agree with this lady, Joanna, I think her name is. What can we say here? We have been saying the same thing. They're basically saying they knew that he did not die as a result of the knee on the neck, but they withheld that information. They didn't say anything and just allowed everything to continue. Allow Derek Chauvin to be put under the jail in the name of what? 
their careers or just social unrest or to quell social unrest? Who knows? Because it sounds like both. Who knows what emotion was going on here? They could have been scared. They're, sure. As the medical examiner asks Amy Squeezy, what do you do when the public narrative doesn't fit? This is the type of things that encourage. This is where you need people with backbones yep. that stand on principle yep. and not on the whim of the crowd. What's expedient for them or what's expedient for everyone, sure. But that, yeah. again, that's easier said than done. So anyways, it continues. So she raises a good point, Arthur, that they did try. They knew, as I read the transcripts, some of this. They knew from the medical examiner's report some of this, but they didn't know all of it. I don't see anything where they knew he was saying the actual evidence does not match up with the story that they're telling the public. That's devastating. You know, as a defense attorney, if you found that coming from another DA talking to the your medical examiner as the defense attorney, you'd be like, I'm doing cartwheels. You'd be so thrilled. But as far as I can tell, uh, they did not. Derek Chauvin's lawyer did not have access to that because it's only been unearthed here in this civil lawsuit. Yeah. So the concealment of evidence. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but isn't that cause for mistrial or throat of the case or something in terms of not providing all the evidence during discovery? I'm at a loss here. Would that evidence even be admissible? Wouldn't that be considered hearsay? Well, I don't know what the legal term is. I'm thinking hearsay, but I don't know if that's the right term because she's just recounting what she heard someone else say. Yeah, but this is to, not coming from anybody. This is coming from an expert. To her. So that's not hearsay? Well, so if she heard, I guess if she, they couldn't call her to the stand to say what he said. But I think that should have been made clear by the medical examiner and the prosecution that, hey, if this wasn't a political child, they will say, hey, you know what? Even in the child, not this particular medical examiner, but I think there was another medical examiner. I could be mixing up because there was a bunch of medical experts. Yes, in this, because the in this family, child. yes, the family ordered so, their own. Anyway, one of them was saying that if George Floyd was found dead in his apartment and then knew nothing about the knee and the neck or anything of that sort, they would have said that George Floyd died by an overdose of fentanyl and meth and because he has a bad heart. So, and then another medical example said that the three contributing factors would be the drugs in the system, fentanyl, met, the bad heart or enlarging heart that he has, and the stress of the situation. So he's saying it's not necessarily the knee and the neck, but when they combine, you know, excited delirium with the stress of the situation and everything, his heart just couldn't take it. So I guess all of them are saying kind of the similar thing, but the fact that he could have died without the knee on his neck should have said, hey, right. Derek Chauvin, while you may be guilty in some other stuff, I'm going to get into that later when we play some clips from the jury, mm -hmm. you're not guilty of murdering George Floyd. You're listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. We are responding to a clip of the Megan Kelly show on new evidence in the Chauvin case. We'll be right back. Do you have the desire to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints? Answers in Genesis can help. They provide biblically sound books, CDs, DVDs, homeschooling materials, VBS materials, online courses, digital downloads, and The Answers Magazine, and more. Plus, tickets to the Creation Museum and Ark Encounter. Go to The Answers Bookstore by clicking the link in the description section below so you too can be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks the reason of the hope that is in you. Hi, this is Jay. MCG and I would like for you to help us remove barriers by going to removingbarriers.net and subscribing to receive all things Removing Barriers. If you'd like to take your efforts a bit further and help us keep the mics on, consider donating at removingbarriers.net slash donate. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross. All right, so here is another clip from the Megan Kelly show where the gentleman, I think his name is Arthur, he's going to weigh in and give his two cents on this situation. I don't think it's going to be enough. I mean, what they what they write in or what they're 
basing part of their appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States of America on is that the jurors were in a position when there was not a change of venue, that if they found Chauvin not guilty, there would have been riots in the street again. So they really had no choice, which is a pretty powerful argument. But mm-hmm. just what, what an appellate court could say to get themselves out of it is, look, the jury heard substantially significant evidence that that the medical examiner said yeah i don't think he, i don't think he was choked to death i you know that that was he died of a of asphyxiation but there's no injury to the neck what i found very interesting by he the, did uh, die of, I, of asphyxiation did not die of asphyxiation oh. and the and the medical examiner testified to that and what i found very interesting though megan from, from the packet your team gave me was that he said he never watched the video before he committed the autopsy, uh, did the autopsy because he didn't want it to be to influence him in what his outcome was, which that like really was like, wow, that's interesting. So he doesn't even know or he hasn't seen it with his own eyes until I think after the fact. But look, the three of us know the Supreme Court of the United States of America takes less than 100 cases a year. There are certain cases with, that they have to take, like when two jurisdictions, like two different states uh, in federal court are ruling differently. The second department, the second circuit has a different ruling than the third circuit. They kind of have to take that. Here, they have to find four justices to say, okay, we're going to take this case because it has such a profound influ- uh, impact on the laws of the United States of America that we're going to take it. I don't see that burning legal issue here that they're going to put their neck put their neck in the middle of this. Yeah, that last siren sound and stuff like that was in the bigger Kalisha. We couldn't really get that out, but that's a disclaimer there. But I want to say this, though. I do agree with Arthur here that, one, I find it difficult to see that they will actually take it up. But I don't think he went far enough. I don't think the jury was just scared. And regardless of what they said, because if you listen to there, I think six or seven of them interviewed with Don Lemon when he was still with CNN when this happened. And they said they didn't make the decision because they were scared. But I do believe that they were scared a little bit, regardless they of what said, they said. They said that they didn't. The decision they was, were not. They were not scared to acquit. They made their verdict based on evidence and not based upon. But Of course they I, have to say that. But I don't agree with them. But you mentioned this. We had high profile people like Maxine Waters and President Joe Biden weigh in on this trial. We also had the fact that, and this is one of the big ones for me, I think the jury should have been sequestered. Yes. Big time. There's no way that I am convinced that they followed the judge's instruction and not look at the local news or national news on this thing. Of course they did. As a matter of fact, it, it probably was impossible for them not to do it. Because it was all over, especially if you have a smartphone, especially if you have to drive to and from the courtroom, it's impossible for you not to be influenced. So my thing is they should have been sequestered. It would have been nice if they were able to move the child out of the area that the quote unquote, the crime happened. But so still in Minnesota, but just maybe out of the area. But I don't know if that would that would have been I don't know if that's constitutionally possible, but it would have been nice if they could have moved it out. But at minimum, I think that they should have been sequestered because we know there were news articles coming out that jurors were finding blood in their driveway, pig head and all kind of stuff. They were being intimidated. And there's no way you're going to say, oh, there's a few people in this world that can be intimidated like that and still make the right decisions. And you can't tell me that there were 12 people there and none of them were not intimidated in making a decision because they didn't want to see their city burn. They didn't want to see more violence occur, whatever, blah, 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 blah. I'm not convinced on this one, but I do agree with him that, hey, I think the jury should have been sequestered. I think the jury was scared. And I think they make a decision in the best interest of their home rather than the best interest of justice. Mm. You know, I will say I'll make an argument of why they should. And I understand that they probably won't because they don't want to be particularly bold, the U.S. Supreme Court. They, they like to not touch the hot buttons if they can get away with it. But this is a growing trend in America, trial by media, you know, trial for, but for social justice, not for actual justice. And if they actually took this case and reversed it, saying this guy did not get a fair trial, the court of public opinion had hanged him 
before he ever stepped foot in that courtroom. And this was a DA and an AG on a quest for social justice, not actual justice. That's not the United States of America. It actually would send a very powerful message down to all all courts, criminal and civil, uh, on don't go this road. This road. We're not going to support you. And we don't care if people don't like us. I agree with Megan. I think, yeah, it would show a powerful message, but I still don't think they're going to take it up because why? I think what I'm seeing here, and I could be wrong, but I'm noticing something here. Even when it comes to like gun control or two-ear rights and stuff like that, and when it comes to stuff, it seems like the Supreme Court is having more and more and more and more stuff added to the list of things that they have to give a decision on. More stuff on their docket. Right. So we are pushing all these things to the top because the lower courts are so political, if you want to put it that way, because California is going to say you can't own an AR-15, but Texas is going to say, yes, you can own an AR-15. So now the Supreme Court have to take that up and say, hey, which is right. So we're pushing all these, and I hate to use this term, minor stuff to the Supreme Court. They just don't have the bandwidth to take all these things. So while I would love to see Derek Schoen get a child, I don't think they're going to take it up because they have too much things coming up that's probably more important and things that they have to take up rather than taking up something that is, again, state-specific. Then every American needs to take notice. And I don't know if America did, because if that can happen to Derek Chauvin, it's only a matter of time before it happens to one of the rest of us. I think that it's either Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson, I apologize, I can't remember exactly who, I believe it's Benjamin Franklin saying that it's better for guilty people to be let free than for one innocent person to suffer. Because if the innocent person is unjustly punished or suffers in a societal setting, then people who are law-abiding and who want to participate in the social contract won't want to anymore. And so all you have is lawlessness. And so even if it's someone that we don't like, or even if it's someone that's particularly abhorrent to us for whatever reason, it's important that we uphold the principles of innocent until proven guilty, having your fair day in court and all of these different things. Because if it doesn't happen for the one that we like the least, it's not going to happen for any of us. And the fact that America is okay with, or appears to be okay with, throwing one man under the bus in order to quell the mob, in order to satisfy the mob, is very, very, very unsettling and disturbing. There is no justice at that point. Well, that's true, but... Or maybe I'm just a little bit too blackpilled. But The argument can be made here, and we're going to see in this next clip, mm-hmm. that Derek Chauvin's lawyer actually got one of the medical examiner, the medical examiner, I would say, to admit that George Floyd's death was not due to asphyxiation because of the knee and the neck. And then we're going to see why did you ignore that particular piece of evidence. But John, let me jump back to some of the evidence that was admitted before the jury, because this is not going to be helpful to Derek Chauvin's request for a new trial or trying to use this woman's deposition as like, you know, the new Holy Grail. As you pointed out, his lawyer, uh, Eric Nelson, Chauvin's lawyer, did get some of these points in before the jury. Now that's the kind of stuff any appellate judge will look at. Because the appellate mm-hmm. judges want to wiggle out of changing the verdict. They don't, they don't like changing verdicts. So if they have any reason to right. say, this is all brought up in front of the jury and you, blo- you muffed it, then they'll do that. So here's what happened when they had Andrew Baker on the stand, the medical examiner. And uh, N- Nelson was cross-examining him, April 2021. Uh, here it is, SOT20. Let's play it. In terms of the placement of Mr. Chauvin's knee, um, would that explain anatomically, why Mr. Floyd, would that anatomically cut off Mr. Floyd's airway? In my opinion, it would not. So that was a great admission that Nelson got, that the knee would not have cut off airflow to George Floyd. The jury didn't care. And why is it that the jury did not care? In my opinion, is emotionalism, but Here is the jury in their own words and why they actually came to a unanimous decision of guilty. At some point, I think it was Jody, I'm pretty sure it was Jody, said, wait a minute, does the 
intended act of harm have to be the death of George Floyd, or can it be him not providing the life support? And it was like all of a sudden light bulbs just went on for those people, I think, that were undecided or, or on the not guilty side. Yeah, go ahead. I want to hear from, from you, Jody. Why is it? You, you brought that up? What did you? I brought that up because Tell me what you brought up and why. I brought up to the fact that this is not what he did, but more or less what he didn't do. He did not provide life-saving measures for George Floyd when he knew that the guy was in pain or needed medical attention. Mm-hmm. Even the um, firefighter that was off said, check his pulse, check his pulse. Well, then they checked his pulse and they said, well, do you want to do anything? No, we're leaving him here. He had ample to roll him over and start CPR, and he didn't. He mm-hmm. didn't move one bit. And even when the EMS came up and checked him, he never even got up. And he knew he had been lifeless for 30 seconds to a minute. Mm-hmm. He still never stepped up and let the EMS come in and do their job. He had to have the EMS tap him to get up. Mm-hmm. That, to me, said more than what he actually did, that he just didn't do anything to help him at that time. So I said in episode two, Systemic Racism, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, that Chauvin showed a lot of indifference. Mm-hmm. There were no need for him to be on George Floyd's back for that length of time. And the jury's right. If you watch a video... Even when the EMS came, he was still there. Even when George Floyd was not moving anymore, he was still there. Mm-hmm. The EMS came and he got off a little bit. Then the EMS stepped away and he went back on. A lot of indifference, a lot of don't care. I'm the big guy here. He's probably not a likable guy. I agree with the jury on that. I remember you saying how brazen he was about it too, just kind of sitting there and right. staring at everyone like, what? Right. But at the same time, again, I'm no lawyer. But I don't think you should be convicting someone for something that they did not do. So he did not kill George Floyd, but because he was indifferent to the death of George Floyd, we're going to convict him for murder anyway. That to me just emotions. Again, I don't agree with Chauvin's demeanor or actions. But you can't just now say, hey, yeah, the knee on the neck didn't kill him. Because this is my interpreter, what they just said. Mm-hmm. The knee on the neck did not kill him. But because he was indifferent and he didn't offer help, which I'm not sure, even if he's legally required to, I don't think it arises to murder or second degree murder, whatever he was convicted of. It's all emotions. And you can't yeah. convict someone for something so serious because they weren't a good Samaritan. Right. Now, I don't know if police officers, I think police officers might be required to provide first aid as long as they can secure their safety first. I think. Uh, that might be a state-by-state thing, but I do think that... No, let me take that back. I'm not 100% sure that police officers are legally required to provide first aid. But at any rate, what she said to me didn't make any sense because that wasn't the question there. The question wasn't about what he should have, could have, would have done, although he absolutely should have provided first aid. The question was, did the knee on the neck kill this man? Did he murder this man? And in Minnesota, second-degree murder is, I had it pulled up, but my computer crashed, but I'll see what I can remember from memory. If you are in the act of committing drive-by or some other type of felony activity and you unintentionally kill someone, that's second degree murder. If you are acting in, I don't know if they use the word passion, but if you're reacting to something and you're fighting someone, but you're not intending to kill them and you end up killing them, that's second degree murder. There's one other thing that I'm not even going to try to remember what it is because I don't clearly remember what it is. But long story short, according to Minnesota statutes, what happened in the case of Chauvin, none of that fit the bill for second degree felony murder, but they threw the book at him anyway. And so, like you said, it's just very odd that you would punish someone for something that they didn't do when you can't prove what they did do or what you say that they did. None of it makes sense. Like you say, I really hope that the Supreme Court takes it up so at least he at least gets a retrial and at least the wrong can be righted in at least some small way because his life is completely destroyed by this. And not just him, but so many others that have had trial by media, trial by popular opinion before the facts of the case could actually be determined. And it's going to sound like I'm victim blaming and I'm whatever other 
slur that people want to throw at me because it's the unpopular opinion. But in the case of Zimmerman, that's another one. The Albert Arbery case, the Freddie Gray, Michael Brown, all of the officers and people involved in those particular cases, they had already been through the court of public opinion before they could even have their day in court. And that's not the way that we would want our democratic republic to go. At least I hope that's not how we want things to go, because we ever have to stand before judge and jury. We certainly wouldn't want that to be our case either. Yeah, I will say, though, that I think that the McMichaels and the Ahmaud Arbery case, I think that they got a verdict was verdict correct. Was right. Okay, you're right. I do need to clarify. When I'm talking about the Ahmad Arbery case, I'm particularly talking about the guy that was recording, because I don't think that that mm, was particularly yeah. fair. But okay. I guess I can be a little bit merciful for him, but that's why the father-son duo, no way. That's <laughs> right? why you don't get involved in things like that. Yeah. That's why you <laughs> and I differ on that's this. Why you call, yeah. That's why you call the police and be a good and witness. be a good witness. <laughs> so anyways, we're going off track we here. We are but, here. Yeah. Yeah. But I do agree. I think the jury definitely went haywire here. But here's another juror explaining after they say, hey, it's not what he did, but what he did not do. She had a, an input. Why do you think that was a light bulb? Well, when we were in deliberations and, and Jody did bring that up and we did look through everything very, very carefully, what I thought about is something that was said during the trial, and that is Minneapolis Police Department has a model and if I'm understanding it correctly, their motto is, in our custody, in our care. George Floyd was in their custody. He was never in their care. And that, for me, just, it just hit hard. I don't feel like they ever cared for him. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, care? I'm having a hard time understanding what she was saying there. Like, they were calloused toward him? Is that what she's saying? Like they didn't provide the basic human decency of care? Is that what she's saying? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. I think that she's saying, hey, the mother is in our custody, in our care in terms of it's our job to protect you and all these things. And they didn't do that. And again, we have mentioned it. Derek Chauvin was indifferent. Derek Chauvin was, for all amount of purposes, was defiant. There were people there standing there shouting at him saying, hey, He's dead. He's dying. Get off of him. At a minimum, roll him over. At minimum, do CPR. He didn't do any of that. So I'm not here defending him. Derek Chauvin seemed like some kind of angel. Right. But at the same time, I just don't think that he killed George Floyd. Yeah. And at the same time, I don't think he got a fair trial. But let's wrap it up with this last clip from the Megyn Kelly show where they kind of just bring it home as well. The very basis of the appeal is, is that, right? The very basis of the, of the appeal is because you didn't allow us to change a venue, this was a, a conviction was a foregone conclusion because the jurors did not want their houses burned down. They didn't want their families stoned. They didn't want any of that. And the fact that a jury can ignore solid evidence from an ME, this isn't even a hired gun, so to speak. This isn't a quote unquote expert that any side can hire. This is the guy that works for the state that, that does this for a living, that works for the state, giving information that is basically contrary to the state's case. And the jury still rejected it. What does that tell you about the tenor? And you know what I find very interesting? If we believe the information and the, the deposition that's ancillary to all of this, where the ME was basically saying without saying it, don't make me do this because I, I still want my job. Don't make me say what really happened here because it's not a safe environment if I do. Do you think 12 strangers aren't going to have the same fear? If, if a professional, if a seasoned professional is afraid to tell it like it is, do you think 12 jurors are going to be bold enough to find so Derek Chauvin not guilty? No way. You're so right. Because he ended it, just as a reminder, he did end it according to this woman's Deposition, again, Amy's, Sweezy's deposition, the medical examiner end, ended it with, um, the, the evidence doesn't match up with the public narrative. This is the kind of case that ends careers. Well, there you have it. Did Chauvin get a fair trial? Did Chauvin kill George Floyd? I personally do not think so. We didn't think so when it happened, and we still don't think so. And I think the new evidence kind of just affirms that affirm it confirm it even yeah. though we kind of think that the evidence was already there yeah but 
I'm just going to speak personally. As a black man, the boogeyman of the police, you know, supposedly hunting me down, looking to put the knee on my neck. What scared me more is not so much the police. As a matter of fact, I'm not scared of the police at all. But I'm more scared of the fact that Derek Chauvin didn't get a fair trial. Yeah. Because. For sure. You know what? If he didn't, why is it that I should expect to get a fair one? Yeah. Whether you're black, white, Hispanic, or in between, or whatever you want to identify yourself as. If Chauvin didn't get a fair one, why would you get a fair one? And while I understand there's no perfect system, at least this one, we should have gotten right. Just because of the fact that it's so high profile. I think we should have put the effort, the time, the money by sequestering the jury, by doing what he needs to say, hey, let's get this one right. So I think that in our misguided effort to establish justice, we're willing to commit atrocities. And I'm just so grateful and I'm so glad that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he meets out punishment, when he meets out judgment, it is just and it is, I don't want to use the word equitable, but it is right and true across the board. He's no respecter of persons. And his truth is the same from the beginning of time at Genesis 1-1, when he said, let there be, or in the beginning, God created all the way up to today. And we can trust that he is true and his judgments and his declarations are true. And so as a result of that, I think that perhaps as fallible people as we are, we need to tread cautiously in this experiment we call America, because this is, in my opinion, the greatest country in the world. Of course, everybody's going to say that about their own country. But to the extent that we hold to biblical truth is what makes us great. And if we allow fear of the mob, or if we allow our personal emotional uh, feelings, if we allow these things to spoil or disrupt or prevent justice, then that is a terrible mark on us as a people, as a culture. But for those of us that are <laughs> red, borderline black-pilled as I perhaps am, what gives me hope and what gives me assurance is the steadfastness of our Lord, who is king, whether we acknowledge him or not as a people. Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is Lord. And his justice is always true. Yeah, I'm thankful that there's a judge who judge righteously, mm-hmm. unlike the many judges we have in this country do not judge righteously. Or ourselves individually that don't judge righteously, yeah. Yeah, I'm thankful for the judge that judge righteously. And no one will leave his courtroom and can point a finger and say, hey, the judgment was not fair because he's a righteous judge. I think about Isaiah 33 verse 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. And Hebrews 12, verse 23, and to God, the judge of all. Hebrews 9, 27, and as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. I think of Benjamin Franklin when he said, our new constitution is now established. Everything seems to promise it will be durable. But in this world, nothing is certain except debt Mm. and taxes. One day, you will face the righteous judge. And the only way out is to plead guilty of the charges against you and cry unto Jesus for mercy. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, for he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Bible said in John 3, 16 to 19, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is a condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. 
The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Our encouragement to you is that one day you will fall into the hands of the righteous judge. And we are pleading with you, prepare now by agreeing with the charges against you and confessing your sins, crying out to Jesus that you might be saved. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. Did you know that you could find us on Twitter, Gab, Parler, Facebook, and Reddit? Go to removingbarriers.net slash contact and like and follow us on social media. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross. Thank you for listening. To get a hold of us, to support this podcast, or to learn more about Removing Barriers, go to removingbarriers.net. This has been the Removing Barriers podcast. We attempted to remove barriers so that we all can have a clear view of the cross.